Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Omni Channel Marketer. This is your host, Kate Stevens. Today, I have Nadia Okamoto, founder of August. Hi, Nadia. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start with a little bit more about your personal background and how you came to found August? Yeah. So um, I'm Nadia, based in New York, one of the co-founders of August. And um, next year is actually my 10-year work anniversary, which is super exciting. Um, I started in the period space in 2014 when I was 16. I started a nonprofit um, that was really focused on ending period poverty and stigma. Um, and so kind of accidentally fell into the world of like more period advocacy. And then wrote a book about it that came out with Simon & Schuster in 2018, did quite a bit of marketing uh, consulting for period care, kind of the industry giants. And I think August really is the answer to a lot of pain points that I felt both as a consumer consultant and as as an advocate um, in the period care space. And so for us, like August really started with the goal of creating more sustainable, transparent, bold, inclusive period care. Um, So tell me a little bit more about how August does that. Yeah. So we make tampons and pads that are, you know, uh, the key example I always give is like most maxi pads out there have enough plastic for three to five plastic bags each. Ours do not. And so they have a lot less plastic. They're much more comfortable. And I think a lot of what people are surprised by with our products is that they're so much more significantly sustainable, but they're more comfortable. Right. And I think oftentimes we're used to the kind of trade-off of sustainable to comfort or efficacy. And our goal was really to say, we're going to make products that are so much better for the environment, but also work better. So even if the sustainability difference wasn't there, they're still a better product. Um, and so that's a huge part of it. And then our tampons, just being really thoughtful about every part of the product design. So having tampons that open axially, so they better fit the natural shape of your vagina, smooth and rounded tip of the applicator. And so I think like there are all these pain points for people who menstruate out there that, you know, we might not have talked about before, but we can all relate to, right? Like sometimes it's not easy to put in a tampon and it kind of gets stuck on your lips a bit. So like it's valuable to have a very smooth and rounded tip for an applicator. And then I would say from a brand perspective, just like existing in our own world where period stigma is not shameful and does not exist and just being super bold about our period. A lot of people know us from TikTok. Uh, between me and the brand, we have um, over five and a half million followers across channels. And we've really built and leveraged that online community as a way to drive omni-channel sales, uh, but also as a way to kind of achieve the goal of eliminating stigma around periods and also building brand awareness for the company. Okay. Definitely going to want to dive a little bit deeper into TikTok, but could you tell me a little bit more about the current state of the business? What do you guys look like from a revenue or a distribution perspective? Yeah. We've raised our seed round um, in 2022, which is so crazy that it's already the end of this year. Um, uh, so we're a seed stage company. We were direct to consumer for the first couple of years. We launched in about 400 target doors in March of this year, uh, recently launched on Amazon. Um, and then we actually have this other part of our business as well, which is a smaller part, but like a fast growing part of the business, which is the B2B side. Um, and so we are the exclusive period supplier for period products at like all the WeWork offices at the Equinox and SoulCycle restrooms. And so um, a lot of what we're doing, I, th- I think even from the B2B side is really trying to make sure that period care is accessible wherever possible. Um, and so being in the workplace or school restroom, but yeah, in terms of as a business, we really think about it as direct-to-consumer, retail, Amazon, and B2B. Um, and so you launched direct-to-consumer first. How did you think about that initial channel launch and you know, why did you choose D2C? 
I mean, I would say from a consumer perspective, like I, I've always been really obsessed with the world of direct consumer. I think especially with the advent of social media, like me and my co-founder started the company our junior year of college. Also, this is 2020 when COVID had shut down so much of the retail world, right? So everything was very online. And so it wasn't actually even a conversation when we started of thinking, is there a initial launch in retail? It was very clearly going to be a, a direct consumer play. I would also say like, Something that I learned starting the company was how capital intensive it is to start a CPG business. And especially in this category, I think that what's different from, for example, maybe an apparel startup is that the minimum quantity orders are not like 50 units, right? It's in the hundreds of thousands. And so a lot of what I think was kind of taken into consideration is like, we knew we wanted to be in on retail shelves eventually. We were not ready at all to do that from a capital perspective, but also it's not where the world was in 2020. And so for us, it was very obvious that direct to consumer was going to be the main channel, but we knew from the beginning that our dream was to be on shelves at retailers not only because like from a business scalable perspective, but also because like that's the nature of tampons and pads, right? It's a behavioral change to ask for people to buy those online and subscribe online. We will always have that online subscription at the moment because we believe in customizable subscription. There is a whole audience of people who want their period care customized and delivered to their door. But at the end of the day, this is a line of products that people are like throwing into their grocery carts as they're doing their like weekly or bi-weekly groceries. Um, and so I think for us, like we've, been an omni-channel, like eyes on the target of retail expansion. But given where the world was and where the company was, like direct to consumer was our fo- going to be our focus for at least the first couple of years. Makes complete sense. And so you mentioned a recent target launch in 400 doors. So, you know, talk to me about, you know, securing that retailer, why target, um, you know, and then how you've been supporting that retail channel. Yeah. I mean, it's super interesting because I think for us, like Target was always um, a really uh, kind of like a priority for us as we th- thought about entrance into retail. A lot of that is because they've been historically really supportive of direct consumer brands coming into retail, right? I think it's a very different sales game um, and there's a big learning curve. And I think we, a lot of our strategic angel investors from our pre-seed and seed round were direct to consumer founders who had really great experiences with Target. And so I think that from a reputational standpoint, that was one thing. It was also where we had the most demand for our, our products being on shelves. So by the time we were starting to pitch to Target, I had built a following of 4 million followers on social. August had like half a million followers across channels. And we were fielding and we still field so many comments of people saying, we need you on X shelf, right? And so I would say from when we started pitching into Target, that was the most requested retailer was like, why aren't you at Target? We need you on Target. And so it was a really easy way for us to be able to package that demand and show Target like, hey, we have a lot of public express demand for our products being on shelves. And we have a really unique community base, right? We are kind of like, more niche down into like Gen Z young menstruators. And I think obviously the Gen Z consumer is a big target focus for a lot of retailers. I would say the social platform is a way that we've really been able to drive um, in-store purchase and sell through. I guess that's also something that's really uniquely uh, something we can do as a brand in the category, right? Like we have a viral presence about menstrual care, you know, which is I think like relatively rare still. Um, And so that's been a huge part of how we've been able to continue to drive. I think even an example with this is like, 
from when we launched in Target earlier this year, we started using hashtag August Target um, just so that we could track sort of visibility. And like that hashtag now has over 50 million views, right? And we're able to kind of show a lot of those metrics to Target as well. So tell me a little bit more about how you amassed, um, you know, such a following on TikTok. And then I'd love to, you know, dive into even, you know, the specificity around that, um, the August Target um, hashtag, you know, how you use that, then, you know, how that, how you bring that back to Target. I mean, I would say in terms of how we grew on social, it was like a lot of trial and error and it continues to be. Like I was not actually a TikToker when we raised initial capital. I was not a TikToker until we launched in June 2021, you know? And so I would say from right out the gates, it was like, okay, let's really figure out this channel. And I think it was, it was really with the goal too of like, how do we become a period care CPG brand that doesn't have to rely so heavily on paid and, you know, paid channels of marketing. Um, I think that we came into the world of being a VC backed startup um, at a time where there was a lot of tension around like, you know, the direct to consumer world being one of raising capital, spending it to acquire customers at really high um, uh, CACs. And so I think from the beginning, it was a focus of ours of like, let's really figure out the organic channels. Um, and so I think for us, like we knew that was going to be a focus, pleasantly surprised by how viral it went like so quickly. Um, and so I think that even today, it continues to be trial and error, constantly iterating, figuring out like on an hour by hour basis, what's working, what's not working, how do we iterate, what trends are we navigating? Um, and it's something that we'll continue to learn to do. I would say that we still have a lot of figuring it out to do in terms of figuring out how social drives retail presence, but it's something we're excited to keep keep figuring out. And so how much of your time would you say is dedicated to social um, and content creation on a daily basis? Probably two to three hours a day personally, but it all happens usually after work hours. And so like today, for example, like I think this is my like 16th phone call. And, uh, and then, but this is my last phone call of the day. And so for the rest of today, all I have to do is like make content, catch up on emails. And so for me, it's really something that I do, um, more in the evenings. I think that's the nature of being like an operator slash creator in the business. Um, uh, but I think for the team, you know, we have a very small team. We have an eight person team. Um, we have one person on social. And so I think that we're very small and nimble. And I think that we've had to really understand how to like pivot and, uh, really optimize how we can navigate like the changing times of CPG too. And even, you know, just since June of 2020, you know, how has TikTok as a platform changed? Are you guys using TikTok shop, uh, TikTok shop? Like, you know, is that your primary social media channel? And how do you think about, you know, just focus in that in general? So we aren't on TikTok shop um, yet, not because we don't want to be, but because period care isn't an allowed category yet. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of the barriers on what period care can even participate in are very real, right? Because there is a lot of stigma around periods and even getting having content stay up is always a challenge. TikTok, I do not consider like necessarily our biggest immediate sales channel. I consider TikTok to be our strongest tool for top of funnel awareness, right? I think that for us, like we have a really strong email and SMS play and, but a lot of that is driven from TikTok reality, right? So when we see TikTok reality, we never assume that it's going to drive direct sales. We hope that it's driving brand awareness, but I think we really think of TikTok as like top of funnel for brand discovery, for then people to find us on Instagram, for people to go to site, for people to sign up for lists. And so I think for us, we really think of it as like pure top of funnel first touch point. You know, talk to me a little bit about the stigma around period care in general. You know, 
Do you find that your content, because you're, you know, breaking down that stigma, that's what's really resonating with your audience? You know, I think that like it probably resonates with different audiences for different reasons. I think that like the unfortunate reality of living in this patriarchy is that people still have a lot of questions about their own bodies and there's a lot of feelings of shame and isolation around something as basic as menstruation. And so we, I think, by ripping off a Band-Aid and saying no period stigma here, we're going to answer your questions. We're going to talk about periods very openly. We're going to talk very openly about symptoms and things like that. I think that we kind of tap into this like eagerness and curiosity of people who want to, who, who've always been wondering questions like, what color is my period blood supposed to be, right? Where does my period blood come out of and why am I getting a period all the way to people who are feeling shame about their periods and have just never had a conversation with um, even loved ones about their period too. And so I think that for us, I think that's where brand and online community has like so many different reasons for why we do that. And I think that kind of creating community around being a menstruator in the first place is a huge part of what we try to do as a brand. And how do you think about, you know, where your community lives? Is that your audience on TikTok or, you know, how do you, you know, how do you think about that as a brand? So I have like very strong feelings about this, which is like, I think that the word community is like vastly overused in the world of like specifically consumer brands. Because like when I say community, I'm not talking about like our social following. And I think that that's where community, that word is used a lot. It's like, oh, we have like a 2000 community, but that's like you have 2000 followers. So we think of our community as like spaces where it's like more of a conversational exchange, right? So rather than like audience or viewers or followers, our community we consider to be our inner cycle, um, which is a community we host on the platform Geneva, which is like a private community home on Geneva, which is like a Slack for Gen Z. Um, and so I think of that as our community. And on social, I think of that more as our audience. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap. But when we think about like community building and our community has been a huge part of developing new products, choosing essential parts of the brand from the name of the brand to packaging to colors. And so for us, we think of community as more Geneva, where we're doing a lot more listening as a brand versus on social, we're more of like the person with the megaphone talking to a very large audience. Okay. So in that listening, are you asking that community too for that feedback or do you find that more? And then, you know, I think the second question is, you know, that community on Geneva, are they incentivized just because they're, you know, power users, super users, and they want to support the brand or are you doing different things to incentivize their, you know, input? Yeah. I would say like, even with the example of Geneva, right? Like our Geneva structured as like, maybe a few dozen uh, chat rooms, only like two of them are actually about August and the product. And so I think that it's really like a exchange of like a value exchange, right? Obviously we have dedicated rooms for feedback, but most of it is really just conversations about periods. And it kind of is like exists on its own of just like bringing people together to talk about periods and to share stories about their periods. Super interesting. How do you think about your end-to-end brand experience and you know what are you doing to differentiate here? Yeah, I would say like a huge part of it is really around like, I mean, there are key themes that run through the everything in the business. I think like sustainability, being bold and kind of like the inclusive side of it is like a a really big through line. Um, And then I would last the last thing I'd say is like on the impact side. And I would say as an omnichannel business impact is like shows up a lot in the in in every part of the business. Right. Um, And so I would say like, you know, this is an industry that has 
had the same major players for the century that it's really been in the mainstream market. But I think for us, like beyond the product itself, like that element of impact is a really big through line. And what do you mean by impact? Um, obviously, my background is in the nonprofit space. So uh, I've always been really passionate about things like addressing period poverty, which is not being able to access to afford period products due to lack of income. Um, and so for us, like we, for example, with direct to consumer, right, we there's we donate a percentage of proceeds for every single purchase. Uh, when you're checking out, you can choose which organization it's going to. We've never charged the tampon tax wherever possible uh, with direct to consumer. When we launched in Target, we actually created a way so that when you text us a picture of your receipt and you're charged the tampon tax, which still exists in like 21 states in the U.S., we'll Venmo you back within like 48 hours for the tax that you're charged. And that's actually something we recently did like a really big coalition initiative where we brought eight of our competitors together to do like that tampon tax back initiative with one central phone line for all of these different uh, brands and for customers who are charged tampon tax. And I think like there are ways like that's actually a really key example from an omni-channel perspective of like using our online uh, channels to like both create impact, raise awareness about the tampon tax, and then drive in-store purchase because then they're getting a reimbursement for the tax. That's super interesting. I mean, my next question was going to be, how do you bridge all of your channels? But that that feels like a really great example. Are you, um, you know, as you launched on Amazon recently, are you thinking about, you know, doing something similar there? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're, Amazon is very recent for us. I think that like the tampon tax back coalition, even we're still figuring out exact ways to do that. I think that's like something that's definitely going to be a goal of ours. I mean, even with Amazon, we recently started doing content about like HSA and FSA because period products as of, I think one COVID relief bill package. Um, period products now can be covered by HSA and FSA spending. And so even like last week, we were making content about like, you know, your FSA dollars are going to expire, like go stock up on period products. And so I think there are examples where there are things that we really push for on the impact side that can drive a lot of messaging for um, sales in different channels. Makes complete sense. I like to ask something that, you know, each of our uh, guests is bold or passionate about. So would love to, you know, hear what that topic is for you. I'm very passionate about periods. <laughs> and, um, I, would I know. Say, I like it was like so obvious. <laughs> um, I would say like that's a really big piece of it. I would say like I I think that even though like the re- the vehicle by which I'm doing my work has shifted from like nonprofit to media to influencer to books, like my my mission has never really changed, which is like eradicate period stigma. I think something August really cares about and that I deeply care about is also like sex ed is like absolutely under attack in this country and there's a lot of terrifying legislation that is like rolling back progress we've made about sexual education and so in a world in which people aren't learned about learning about periods in schools and parents at home often aren't educated themselves as well people turn online for answers to questions about their own bodily health. And so I think something we think about a lot is like, what is our role, the responsibility that we have as a group, as a brand with a platform, for me as a creator with a platform to really show up in those ways and close some of those educational gaps. So you referenced a patriarchal society earlier, but like, why does our country, our society struggle so much with like this conversation? I mean, historically, if you look at like who's making the legislation, like why is it that when I started this work 10 years ago, 40 states in the U.S. had the tampon tax, which is a sales tax considering period products, non-essential goods. So like luxury items. Meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra are considered medical necessities. Right. And so I think that there are examples like that, even from a legislative standpoint, where it's like who's making the rules. Right. Like 
I regularly am talking to people who don't get their periods where I'm explaining why menstrual care is a necessity, you know? And so I think that a lot of it, it comes down to a lack of education and, you know, for many, many, I, I I think for me, I'm very forgiving with people who don't think in, about period products being necessities because how should they know in a world where they're not educated about it, where we haven't really talked about it publicly and we haven't created systems of accountability to really push for it. And so, um, you know, I think, and, and, you know, I think there are so many other reasons why there's a stigma around periods. I mean, going back to like religious texts, which is like a whole different conversation. But, um, you know, I think that there's it's a very intersectional issue around how we talk about periods, how we talked about reproductive health. Um, obviously, the last couple of years, it's been been making major headlines. And I think it's been um, it's been a huge opportunity for us to continue bringing up the conversation around menstrual equity and, and the likeness of that. So I have a one and a half year old daughter and um I was just having a conversation with like my girlfriends about like female reproductive and yeah. like having discomfort saying the word vagina, which is kind of probably ridiculous. I'm just reflecting on that conversation and you know, it's embedded in my own just like yeah. comfort in even, you know, talking to my daughter about like she's one and a half year old. I just like I'm teaching her body parts, but like why do yeah. I feel uncomfortable about that? No, but I think it's like even that shows, right? I think like how this is changing generation to generation, right? Which is like one of the crazy things is like I love asking publicly like what nicknames did you grow up with for your body parts or your period, right? Like the fact that it's still considered like kind of radical to like even say the word period is crazy, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've grown up with all these like time of the month you know, Shark Week, Crimson Wave, whatever nicknames we had. And I think similarly, like we grew up with nicknames for our vaginas. We grew up with like, I recently, I, the one I've been hearing more is like front butt, like people calling it your front butt. Yeah. Which like honestly makes sense visually when you think about it. But like, yeah. I think that there are examples like that, which is like, we're trying to get people to talk about periods in a world where we've been kind of conditioned to think that it's not even okay to say the word period, you know? Mm. And so I think that like, as we think from a generational perspective, right? Like, I mean, I think my mom was very open with me about like calling your body parts what they were talking about periods, but that wasn't the same thing she was taught from her parents and very much so not a generation above that. Um, And so I think that that's a huge part of, I think what we're tapping into is kind of this craving for very open conversations. Okay. Jumping into our lightning round. So just like, you know, quick answers on some of your favorites, favorite omni-channel brand. Oh my gosh. Um, I would say I'm a really big fan of Starface. I think that they've really killed it with like entrance into retail, especially like across drugstore to larger retail, um, has been, has been a huge, uh, a huge point of progress too. Um, what do you wish we can change about our industry? I would say one thing is like, I wish it was a lot more like social friendly. Like obvi- I, that sounds weird knowing that like we're in a world of like a lot of viral TikToks, but I think that for me, like I, I think that I remember doing consulting like eight years ago about like the potential of like how AI shows up in like the retail in-store shopping experience to digital. And I still think we're like barely scraping the surface of that, of like, how do we connect customers from potentially seeing our products online in-store and like in the bathroom at WeWork, right? And the fact that QR codes are still like the main way, like that's great, but I think it also shows how much room for opportunity there is in that. Totally. I completely agree with you. Which I guess Thanks. is exactly what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I started with QR codes, but yeah. like, I agree. I think it is like absurd that there's not more connectivity and yeah. I'm just dedicated to building that. 
at connecting yeah. across channels. Um, favorite podcast? I listen to the daily every morning. Love the daily. Favorite newsletter? So there's actually one called Back to School by Casey Lewis. It's like a Substack, and it's basically about like Gen Z pop culture. And I'm like geriatric Gen Z. I'm 25. And so a lot of like, I use that as like my way to stay up because I feel like I'm in like the Gen Z TikTok world, but I don't know like Gen Z trends and like, and Gen Alpha trends now in like fashion and so, uh, and, and like celebrity pop culture. And so, um, back to school is mine. Favorite social media channel? TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that was obvious. Favorite book? Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. An event that you're excited about going to in 2024? I'm speaking at Davos, which I'm super excited for. Um, I'm speaking at like a kind of side event there. It's the World Economic Forum in Switzerland in January. That is incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, That's you. super exciting. Um, Nadia, thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners connect with you? On social at Nadia Okamoto and we're, it's august.co on web. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 